This is Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian, host of the Badass Women's Council podcast, and I'm super glad that you're here. We provide reflection and connection for the high-achieving woman. So obviously, the podcast episode you're listening to by yourself. So the connection you can find at badasswomenscouncil.community. Come on in and join us. All right, here we go. I'm not coming down. Hello, this is Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian, host of the Badass Women's Council podcast. And I am super glad that you're here because today we have one of my favorite people, Chris Mills in the house. Hello. Hello and good morning. I am doing well. Good. Okay, so. We're doing video and audio today. If you're just listening, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to do a little video thing. So the first thing I did when I saw Chris on video today was acknowledge that her top matches my pants, which means we're kindred spirits. Yes. I'm wearing pajama pants. Let's get over it. But I did my hair and makeup. So I feel like that balances things out. Like that's, that's okay. Right. Oh, Chris, tell, you know. As you know, Rebecca, I've got this little foot issue going. So I'm dressed up, but I have on tennis shoes and a boot. So the outfit is very similar from top up, one thing from the bottom down, another thing. Good. That is one thing I do enjoy about our new working environments. Yes, 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 Mm -hmm. yes. So tell our listeners a little about your career life. Who are you? What do you do? Oh, goodness. So, you know, (laughs) officially, I am the chief operating officer of ML Talent Strategies. And so what does that mean in the real world? That means, um, you know, ML Talent Strategies, what we do is make HR and talent simple for small businesses. You know, they can't afford to have human resources people and talent people. And my staff is this incredible organization of 20 plus years of experience. And so I get the the great benefit of leading an incredible team to help take care of these small businesses. I love it. I love it. And you, your HR career has been so rich, so robust from small business to what fortune 50 or at least fortune 500, 100. Oh yeah. I mean, ADP, the huge payroll company, Roche Diagnostics, Ingersoll Rand, huge organizations. Um, for sure, which is where I kind of cut my teeth and then um, decided that big corporate was wonderful, but maybe some smaller companies could could be where I could find a better niche and have enjoyed that for sure. And I was so excited when you made that shift because I knew the power and impact you could have on a small to mid-sized business. I was just so excited to see that shift. And, and so today, the topic that we are bringing to our listeners is mental health in the workplace and starting that conversation. And I had the privilege of working with you as a Rise and Thrive participant um, last season. And this was the story that you told on stage at Stan Tall in your story on April 20th, 
2021 in the middle of a spring snowstorm. (laughs) (laughs) There are some things that um, just you don't you don't forget. And what I've always wanted for these stories that get told at Stand Tall in Your Story is for there to become a ripple effect that the story gets introduced on the stage. We put a spotlight on that story on the stage and it just opens up your world to continue to tell that story in other ways. And so that's happened, right? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, that night was the first time that I publicly stated my journey with mental illness And um, stood on stage and had friends and family that had never heard my story. I mean, literally family members, my immediate family had no idea the journey I had been on. So it gave me a stage and the Rise and Thrive program gave me the, the power to share that story for the first time. And to your point, it was the first time and it has proceeded to continue to be told since then. What was it like? to leave that story, not, not in some ways, I believe that when we release our stories into the world, you, you got to leave some of the burden of carrying it without sharing it on the stage. So then you could go out and be free to have those conversations. What was that like? Cause you, I mean, tell the listeners, you literally said, what did you say on stage? It was the first time you'd said out loud. Well, let me back up for a second. Let me share kind of an example. So I have a good friend who is diabetic, right? And so she has been, she's in her fifties. She's been diabetic since she's nine. She remembers having to go to the restroom in a restaurant to give herself insulin. And a lady in that restroom, not understanding that she was diabetic, shamed her for thinking that she was doing some sort of drug. Right. And so way back when diabetes was viewed as a stigma, right. And doing that sort of thing in public was a stigma. And now here we are for her 40 some years later, having the conversation that it's okay to be diabetic. I mean, think of all of the commercials and now the pumps, everything's very visible. Well, I want the same thing for mental illness. And so the stage gave me the same release of being able to put out there hey, I have bipolar and it is okay. It is what I have. It is not who I am. Um, it's a diagnosis and it's just a piece of who I am. It doesn't you know, define me, I guess, is the best way to put it. Yeah, I love that when you talk about the difference between have and am. Um, that's big. That's big. In fact, huge. this is my... I am mug, which doesn't play off in in the video world, but um, every morning it's a reminder for me to decide who I am. Right. Mm -hmm. And and so you have this, it's a part of that, but it isn't, it doesn't define you holistically. So I love that, that you distinguish that very intentionally. What was that feeling like after the talk was over? Well, I mean, in in true transparency, there was, I went off the stage, like was like, okay, I'm done. I just need off the stage because I needed to process it. Right. Um, But, but it was such a release. It was such a like, Hey, you know what? This really is just a piece of me and the release that came with it. And, and then the confidence to continue to share that. And 
coming off the stage, just the number of people that came up to me afterwards who shared their story, whether it was them personally or it was a family member who was working through that journey of mental illness. And it is a journey, right? And so I don't ever want anybody to think it's a stopping point. It just because I put it out there doesn't mean that that journey isn't continuing. And there aren't days where it's a little overwhelming. And then there's days where it's absolutely wonderful. Um, I also remember just the complete um, tiredness I felt the next day because it was the first time of saying it publicly and just that physical and emotional um, exhaustion the next day. And yet at the same time, just, oh, how do I, I, how do I even describe it? Just the, you know what, this is great. This is who I am and, and I'm going to own it. That has been the feedback and the experience for every person that has done stand tall in your story and rise and thrive to release it into the world takes that burden off. I remember Denise Lambert uh, in year one, she hugged me at the end of her talk and she said, I feel like I just left 25 pounds on that stage because she had been carrying this burden of this story that she was so afraid people would find out about. Same, same with you. And ironically, she did lose a bunch of weight after that. So I think there's, there's, there's just this physical release and impact that happens that we can't deny. We've, we've had enough experience with this event now that we know this is part of the deal. When we try to clinch and hold those things that we're afraid to share too tightly, it starts to have a physical impact and, and emotional and mental impact on us. So I love that you courageously put it out there. And, and, and that night, what were some of the things that you heard? I know I heard so many comments of, thank God she opened this conversation. What were some of the things that you heard? Well, I just, I remember one individual coming up to me afterwards and her um, daughter had been diagnosed with bipolar and she just shared with me her journey of being the mother and also not wanting to talk about it and just realizing the importance for her that if she didn't talk about it, her daughter wasn't going to talk about it either. And so we need to start that conversation. So that was a piece of it. I had so many people say to me, gosh, I knew you were a high performer, but I had no idea what you were battling behind the scenes. And um, just so thankful now that I can have that real conversation with my coworkers, right? I can say to a coworker, it is, it is bubbling up for me right now and I am struggling. And so today I'm canceling a meeting and here's why I'm not just canceling the meeting, but here's why. And just being vulnerable to say, I can't mentally do that today. Hallelujah. I mean, uh, and without a diagnosis, I now have given myself the freedom to do that on days that I know I can't bring what I need to bring. Mm -hmm. And it's so freeing. And, and, and again, the ripple effect of it to be able to say to somebody, Hey, I know we're supposed to record this thing today. I'm going through a lot of stuff. I don't have the energy to bring to that recording. Can we do this tomorrow? Or can we schedule another time? And for them to just see that, for me to see that look on their face, like, 
are we allowed to do that? Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because we are not machines here to produce. We are humans and some days are better than others. That just is. And so I want to talk about the talks that you've been doing now. So because you put this out into the world, praise God, you now have been invited to come speak about this and to teach some of your clients and leaders um, about this, about how to release this in the organization. I'd love for you to share how you do that on stage because it's such a beautiful representation of your story and your experience that really hits home emotionally for people to talk about being a high performer and what it means to live with this and navigating it. Can you, what's the, how can you share that? I know we're not here with PowerPoint slides and all the things, but share a little bit about how you unpack that for people. Yeah. Well, I mean, if I can share first on a personal level, right? So my husband and I actually spoke at our church. And so we kind of set it up. There's a a very powerful song that says the first church of mercy, right? And so my husband sang that. And then I started by talking about the fact that as a church, it is probably one of the worst environments for mental illness because everybody says, well, if you trust and believe in God, then you're going to be happy. Christians should always be happy. And it's just no shit lie from hell. Oh my goodness. Read the book of Psalms. David was a man after God's own heart, and the poor guy dealt with depression. Like it's very obvious, right? And so I unpacked it by saying we have to be a church that is accepting and meeting people where they are. And so I talk about the day that I got diagnosed, you know, the first day that I heard those words said with my name in the same sentence. So that resonated with the church, my church, my family, church family knew me. And I should back up to say, I had to do a lot of work before I could have that conversation. My mother-in-law didn't know, my dad didn't know, like I had to have all these personal conversations before I went into it. So there was a lot of unpacking. How many years from diagnosis to that time? 12, 12 years I had kept it secret. Yeah. 12 years that there were a few people in my close knit circle that knew. And, um, but 12 years from diagnosis that I had not shared that with family. Sorry, That was your experience. Oh, it was such a burden. And you know what? Here's what I learned. It was hard to tell them. They were so loving and receptive. I absolutely discounted their ability to support me. Oh, pause. That's huge. Yes. And I say in the book, when we don't ask for help, we prevent someone the opportunity to bless us. Because people, part of the way that we are wired by the good Lord above is to serve one another. And if we don't share, we lose the ability for us to be in humanity the way we were built to be. That is a beautiful lesson. That's right. Uh, Yeah, I have to sit in that one for a little bit. It was, um, it was hard hard conversations, you know, because to your point for 12 years, and I got asked that question, well, how long and all of that, right? And there was emotion that that they had to process through. And that is one thing I had to learn. And I talked with my, my therapist about this, 
I couldn't own the emotions that they then had to work through. Right. And before we even go there, let's back up to that, that moment of, of, of you being able to receive that kind of support. I believe, and I've experienced personally and see it in most of my clients, that as a high achiever, which most of the people that listen to this podcast are career women, high achievers, either have had success or want success. And there's this stigma that says we have to always have it together in order to be successful. And that also is a bullshit lie from hell. In fact, the more like you did, the more we share that life is the rhythm of ups and downs and emotional flow. And some days we just don't have it. The more influence, the more impact, the more real we can be in our connections to be authentically human. That's what people want. They want to be around people that aren't treating themselves like machines to produce that are, are, are saying, you know what, I don't always have it all together. And I think that lesson in and of itself, whether you're dealing with a diagnosis or not, is to say, be human, share your struggles, share that you are an emotional being who has days that truly suck. Yeah. Well, you know, in, um, recently I spoke to a group of CEOs and executives through, through you and you were there and Afterwards, I talked with a colleague who was going through some similar struggles. And the slide that stuck out for her was when I talk about the the words we use around high performers, right? So I have a slide and it talks about things like, oh, a servant leader and is always prepared for meetings, um, high energy a business leader, all these great things. And people are like, oh yeah, that's a high performer. I want that person. I want that person in my organization. Like that's who I want to hire, right? I want to lead that person. It's so easy to lead that person. And then the next slide talks about fell asleep in a meeting, didn't show up for a company event, wasn't prepared, didn't review the materials. And of course, everybody in the room was like, oh, that's, that's not who I want on my team. I, I don't want to have to lead or manage that sort of person. And then the moment of silence that happens when I say that wasn't two different people, that was me. That was me, people. That was getting all of the accolades. And then at the next minute, having a leader not ask me what's going on because all of a sudden there's a transition to what they were viewing as an underperformer. And those showed up in your performance reviews, right? In my performance reviews. And and, right? and, and never, and, and there had been no prior conversation about anything on that second slide, right? It just, surprise in your performance review. Yeah, surprise. No, like, hey, what's going on? You're always prepared. Or, hey, I noticed you fell asleep in a meeting. I've never seen you do that. Never any conversation about that at all. And then I come to my annual review and there it was. And, you know, sick feeling in my gut, just in my heart, just like, oh, and what great leaders do differently is they ask questions and they seek to understand. Let's talk about that because I know that the, what I hear from people is I'm afraid to ask about it because I don't know how to help. And if I ask about it, does that mean that I've signed up 
to be the help. And, and I think there's this stigma that we've created that an organization and your leadership is responsible for your life and your happiness and your well-being. And I think that's bull crap. Um, but to be humans inside the construct of a business is really what we're craving. And so let's talk about how you coach and advise leaders on how to open this conversation. What are some things that you're, you're sharing? Well, I mean, one of the things that I talk about is that I think is important is we constantly like to use the terminology. We want to set you up for success, right? And so what does it mean to set somebody up for success? Well, in the traditional world, it's, well, what training or development do you need? Well, now we need to talk about, well, what type of environment do we need to be creating for people? Right? And so- And we're not talking about foosball tables and a keg. Right. Oh, please, please, no. Uh, And and, and I say it, um, the creating the conditions you work best in. Yes. And that's a human to human thing. So keep going. Yeah, and it looks very different depending upon the individual and the situation. The other thing, I'd be a little remiss, Rebecca, if I don't address the fact that some people are afraid to have this conversation because they're afraid of the legal ramifications of it. Okay, this is HR stuff. It's stuff I don't know. So teach. And I'm not, I don't want to go into a ton of detail, but there's just a lot of people who are like, oh my gosh, if I open this door, then then there's a legal world of disability and all of this that opens up. There is, but at the same time, there's just this personal responsibility that we have as leaders to take care of our people. And don't let that legal mumbo jumbo get in your way of doing the right thing for your team members. And if if you have concerns, there are people, uh, businesses like yours, other places where you can go and get advice. Of what, right. what's real about this. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. At the end of the day, it's vulnerability. Like you have to start the conversation. You don't have to own the conversation. By that, I mean, for example, you could say, hey, I noticed you fell asleep in the meeting. And the person might be, yeah, I was tired. And I apologize. That won't happen again. Okay. There may be more going on, but they're not ready to continue that conversation. That's okay. But a follow-up question might be, okay, so that was an eight o'clock meeting. Would it help you if we pushed our start times to more like nine or 10 o'clock in the morning? Right? So just know that you can continue to evolve that conversation and it helps people be like, oh, they do care. They are comfortable with it. And P.S., for every single working mom out there trying to deal with working from home and school start times, to be a kind leader in today's world is never to have an eight o'clock meeting. Right, right. I mean, let's just eradicate that right now and recognize that that in and of itself has caused so much stress at a dinner table the night before and two working parents battling it out about whose meeting is going to get sacrificed so one can get the kids ready for school and the other. Like that, that's real. <laughs> it's real. It is. Well, and for somebody dealing with a mental illness, mornings can be rough. I mean, I describe myself as 
there were mornings where I was the person who was up at 4 a.m. You know, I was running 10 miles and I was reading my Bible and I was doing all the things and it was an easy start to my day. And then there were mornings just getting out of bed was more than I could handle. The thought of taking a shower was how in the world, and this was pre-pandemic where you had to be physically somewhere. Dressed with pants and everything. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And I remember multiple mornings, like having to redo my makeup because I was in tears, right? Thinking about how was I going to get there? And that was because, I mean, I had a leader who had a 730, you had to be on site at 730. Well, that's just, I... I look back on it now and I think how hard that was for me, let alone those working parents right. and the anxiety that we put on people around that. And, and going back to what you said earlier about some days, even without a diagnosis, there's something going on in your life that you just can't. It, it, it brought me immediately to a time, gosh, seven, eight years ago, maybe where my marriage was coming apart. And we were in the the worst of it. And I had a meeting with the president of Lilly USA and one of my consultants that had flown in to do some work with this huge rollout we were doing, this global rollout we're doing, millions of dollars of sales for me. Mm-hmm. And I, that was me. I was sobbing hysterically that morning. And I was just saying to myself, you got to get it together. You got to get it together. And I did. I got all my makeup put back on. I had on my little pencil skirt, my heels, get into the hotel where we have the big meeting. And I remember it like it was yesterday because it was so mortifying. And it was um, Alex, he's our other president of Lily USA, Scott Field, my consultant, we're coming down the escalator and I feel it bubbling up. Like we've done the pleasant pleasantries. How are you? You know, I've listened to the pump you up music on the way in. And as, as we're coming down the escalator to turn the corner to go into our meeting room, I feel it coming and I can't stop it. And I was in front of them because they had let me go first, gentlemen. And as we got to the bottom of the escalator, they they said, hey, turn. And I turned around and I was just tears sobbing. And I just looked at Scott, who is a good friend of mine. We've worked together for a long time. And I said, I can't. And he goes, okay. And I went off to the bathroom and sobbed for maybe an hour or more. Mm -hmm cleaned it up, went back into the meeting. And all he said to me afterwards was, are you okay? How can I help you? Right. I didn't need anything more than that. He just acknowledged Mm -hmm. that I was human. And I said, thank you for allowing me just to dismiss myself. And he said, it's fine. I'll never, that was such a gift for me not to have to tell the story, explain what was going on, just to be able to fall apart. You know, Rebecca, the one word that I have learned is grace. And that is, we need to extend it to people. We also need to extend grace to ourselves, especially as high performers, because you could have gone down this whole path of just completely beating yourself up. Oh, I did for a while. Situation, right? Yeah. And there's so many times that I did the same thing. And now the reality is I extend grace to people and I give myself grace because here's the thing. We are loved by God and he extends so much grace to us. 
And if he can do it, we can do it too. One of my favorite things is when someone is running late for a meeting with me and they'll text me and you can feel even frenetic stress in a text message, right? You can feel it. You know, they're freaking out that they're late. My favorite thing is to say, breathe, be safe. I could use a few minutes myself just to unwind. I'll see you when you get here or I'll see you when you log on. And and, and what I love about saying, hey, I could use the time too, (laughs) like this gave me a minute just to pause is it makes them feel like I'm not sitting there like waiting and frustrated. And sometimes it's like 10 minutes and you would think the world was coming to to an end because we've set this expectation that you always have it all together. And that's just not realistic. Well, think about the number of times where everybody has sweated every little detail. Oh, it has to be 100% perfect, right? And then there's the saying, oh, the 80-20 rule, only 80% of it has to be, and we can fix the 20. No one, it's not, no one's going to die because the 20 is not right. One, I had to buy into the 80-20. And now, you know what? Sometimes it's 50-50. Like, it's less than 80-20. We're, we're human. It's okay. It's just, it, it's just okay. I love it when it doesn't go the way I had planned. Now I do. There was a day that that would sit me over the edge, oh. right? I love yeah. it when it doesn't go as I had planned and something supernatural, serendipitous, God just throws in a blessing that I couldn't have even planned for. And you're like, oh, well, that was way better. <laughs> <laughs> And the letting go of some of the control. I talk in the book a lot about the difference between control and connection. That that if we would seek connection more than control, um, things would would go a lot better for ourselves and others. So I I'm with you 100. percent When I work with my clients, I want them to discover their unique personal story, so they can then stand tall in that story. And live a life full of soul and emotions and their natural curiosity about their unique gifts, talents, and abilities so they can live a thriving life. Because our brains are hardwired for stories and our brain wants us to thrive. So I help my clients tap into that. And I also have a sponsor for this podcast called Storybook, which is a unique and innovative platform that helps you bring your company stories to life by tapping into the emotional flow and the natural curiosity that we have about your products and services. So check them out. You can go to my website, wethrive.live, click on the Stand Tall in Your Story link and see the kind of work they're doing for us, or go to their site, cantaloupe.tv, and there's hundreds of stories there that they've created that you can experience. Check them out. We're so grateful to work with them and for them to sponsor the podcast. Hey, as we wrap up, let's, cause you, oh my gosh, I just, I want people to start this conversation. Let's give people a couple, two or three things to what can I do? I'm a leader. I lead a team or I'm a mom or I'm a whatever. What, what can people do to start this conversation or just practical application kind of things? Well, I'll ask for forgiveness if I'm not supposed to do this, but let me give a shout out, right? So we did this event at TrueU, talked to the CEOs and executives, and in a, in a, in a very great way, this came back to me, but one of the CEOs, uh, Jimmy Rayford over at Dealers Wholesale, right? 
Jimmy immediately went back and took action. And what did he say? He sent an email to his organization saying, look, I deal with anxiety myself. And this is what it looks like. And I want you to know that we want to have an environment where you can be real and have that conversation. So just start there. Like start with the people around you. Just be real about how you're feeling because then they can be real. Here's what I love about that. You know, we talk about the ripple effect a lot around here. Christine Dolliver, who's his VP of HR, is in Rise and Thrive season three right now. She was getting ready in two weeks to stand on that stage, as Dan told in your story, and tell a very similar story about her mental health journey. And when she got that email from him, she messaged me and she said, look what Jimmy just sent. I have chills thinking about it. And all of a sudden, her fear and apprehension about standing on that stage and telling her story was released. And then she was excited to go share that story because she knew she was going to be supported by her CEO. It was such a beautiful moment of ripple effect. And she, the next meeting we were at, I think it was like next week, she was talking so fast. and was so excited. It was just like, breathe, girl, breathe. Because it was just this huge release of emotion for her and permission for her to be herself. And that is, that is the, the key there is giving your team and those around you to have the permission to be themselves. Have that dialogue. What kind of things do you need in your life from me to feel like you can be you and be successful? And what does success even look like for you? Because we just assume that everybody wants this big, huge career aspiration. And that's not it. It, For a lot of people, especially recently, it's they want to be viewed. You know, we talk a lot about the reasons why people stay at a company or leave a company. And one of the newest ones is people want to be seen as a whole person. How many of your teammates do you know their kids' names? Do you even know they have children? Do you know that they have to get the kids on the bus at 7.30 in the morning? Or they have to meet the kids at 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon? Or their spouse is working? You know, I even think about my husband. It wasn't, I mean, he was going through this journey with me as well, right? And so he needed that support of friends and family. And so we just got to get it out there. And, and you know, the other thing, Rebecca, the, this is a little off topic, but I want to make sure we hear is we have to start changing our language. There's two things that we say a lot of. I hear constantly, oh, that's my OCD kicking in. I bet it's not your OCD kicking in. Because if you have OCD, that is a major mental illness. So stop saying it. Start saying, you know what? I'm a perfectionist and I have to stop doing that sort of thing. Or, oh, that person's emotional. They must have bipolar. No, bipolar is much bigger. Right? And so we use those words in our everyday language and it adds a stigma to it. So when you say, oh, they're emotional, that must mean they're bipolar. 
who in the world is bipolar is then going to say, hey, by the way, I'm bipolar. You know, I've spent a lot of years talking, writing, and speaking about attention deficit disorder, ADD. Same thing. The minute somebody's distracted, oh, ADD, I'm like, "Mm, maybe, maybe not. (laughs) Yeah, now that I'm telling my story, when somebody says, oh, that person must be bipolar, I pause them and say, well, can we talk about that? Because I know what bipolar is because I've been diagnosed with it. Let's not use that, that language without knowing that somebody's been diagnosed that way. And I believe we do that because we're so uncomfortable with our own emotions mm-hmm. that yes. if we have, if we're experiencing them ourselves or somebody else showing them, we have to call it something because we're so uncomfortable with it. I just want people to be safe, to feel in whatever room they walk in, to feel safe, to be themselves in whatever emotional flow they're in that day. Well, and I'm looking at my board. You can't see it, but up on my board, I have words that you use. We are personal, emotional, and social. Let's not forget that. We are not some system. We are people. And with that brings all of our emotions, every last one of them. And it is okay to have those emotions. Mm, I love it. Okay. So if someone wants you to come in and talk to their organization or do presentations about this or have conversations, they can reach out to you, right? Oh, absolutely. I am loving this conversation. And my, my conversation is really about what great leaders do and keep in mind Everybody is a leader. You don't have to have that formal title. Everybody's a leader. So what great leaders do differently to make it an environment where people can have this honest conversation? Yes. And I've seen the presentation. It's beautiful. It it plays out. So everybody in the audience that was there that day at Truya was just captivated and learned so much. So I highly recommend if this is a topic you want to introduce and you're feeling uncomfortable, contact Chris. Is the best way to do that LinkedIn or how, how, what's the best way for people to contact you? Yeah, I mean, you can do LinkedIn for sure. Just Chris Mills, that ML Talent Strategy. So, and that's my email, chris.mills at mltalentstrategies.com. So you can email me, you can send me LinkedIn for sure. I would love to continue this dialogue. And I'll put some of that in the show notes too. Thank you for being well, here. And that's, yeah. before I forget, that's yeah. the point. This is not a presentation. So don't be prepared for me to come talk. This is a dialogue. And so I'm going to engage your leaders to have that conversation. Love it. Thank you for being you. You're welcome. Thanks for the opportunity. And please join the online community at badasswomenscouncil.community where we can continue the conversation and you can meet other badass high achievers like you. Thanks so much. Make it a great day. If you like the music for the podcast, go to iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your music and look up Cameron Hessian Clouds. You can download the full song there. He's got some other stuff out there as well. And y'all, he's my son. It'd be great if you'd go and download some of his stuff. I'm not coming down. I never liked it on the ground